We, we good? Are we awake? I had to kind of wake up first service. Are y'all, are y'all good to go? Everybody cool? If you don't know me, my name is Austin Roberts, and I will be your alarm clock this morning. No, I'm kidding. I'm the student pastor here. I get to hang out with students throughout the week, each week. Um, we spend our Wednesday nights here doing Amplify, and it is a lot of fun. And occasionally, occasionally they loosen the reins on me, and they let me up here on a Sunday. And they're like, hey, don't screw it up too bad. And I'm like, here I am, you know. So we're going to have fun today. If somebody grabs me with a cane around the neck and pulls me out, you'll know. It was a little too much, but we're going to have fun. Just so you get to know me a little bit, I will tell you I am a slave to my morning habits. I am a slave to my morning routine. If you listen to the Vertical Plus podcast at all, they often make fun of me for this. There's an infinite, infamous story where my wife, Caitlin, was like cleaning couch cushions the night before, and I woke up and was like, what the... What do I do now? That's where I sit. That's where I read. And the whole day was over. Ben jokes that if you knock me over in the morning, I don't really get up for the rest of the day at all. I just kind of stay there. And so typically what my morning looks like is I wake up, I make myself a nice cup of coffee. It's beautiful. I sit down in my gray chair under my black lamp every day, and I read. I'm I'm a creature of habit. That's what I do. After that, I go walk my dogs. It's a great morning, and then I'm ready to go. And usually, I try and read something that I don't know much about, whether it's a new book or I'm learning about, you know, right now I'm reading a book about resilience, about a guy who swam around Great Britain, and I'm like, I don't know anything about that. Like, I'm, you know, like, it's not happening, you know? Earlier this week, I was reading about the men that they initially shot into space to orbit around the earth. And it was, it was during a time we were engaged as a country in this great space race. Now, I wasn't there. I don't remember. Earlier in the first service, Ben told us it was a great time. He was there for it. Um, I'm too young. I wasn't there. <laughs> He's not here now. That's good. I'm glad. But... It was a long time ago. It was before me, and I was learning so much. I didn't know about what was having to go on for them to prepare to jump into space because essentially what they were doing is they were revolving around the Earth 150 miles above the Earth in a space shuttle about as big as a Volkswagen van. Sounds terrifying. I'm, I'm not here for that. I could not have handled that. And the reality is the majority of them could not either. And so the biggest piece of training, the hardest training that they had to endure as they were, were preparing to be fired off into space was training the panic out of these men. They worked hard to make sure that once they shot these people into space, these few men, that they wouldn't panic and override all the systems. They wouldn't go past all the other training that they had had to go through because they knew that one moment of panic could derail the whole mission. And so they methodically put them through that experience every day leading up to launch time. They would wake up in the morning and they would feed them the same breakfast every day. They would take the same ride to work every day. They would go through the same procedures, training them to become very, very familiar with the day that was looming off in the future. And so whenever they got there, they were ready. They were ready to launch. On launch day, they sent them up into space, and they were monitoring a man named John Glenn's heart rate. He'll be up on the screen. He's the guy in the middle. And when they sent John Glenn, he was at the controls of this space shuttle. And they were monitoring his heart rate, and his beats per minute never reached 100. 
the whole day. He was sent out of the atmosphere and he was orbiting around earth. He wasn't only in control of the shuttle, he was so in control of his emotions and his, his panic that it never got out of control because they had trained the panic out of him. That's exactly where we are jumping into as we go into this new series called A Long Obedience. Because the reality of our life right now, even past all the nice things that we've talked about so far in 2021, we've made our codes, we've learned to forgive, all of those things. The reality is that in the morning when I'm sitting in my gray chair and I'm preparing to go out into the world where 2021 is waiting for me outside of my door, I'm reading this book that is a combobulation of writings from thousands of years ago in this Bible. And while I know that it's good and I know that it's true, so often when I walk out my door, I'm wondering, is this relevant to the life that I'm about to walk into? I'm seeing people on the news and on social media and people that even I love and phone calls and text messages and funny memes where people are panicking because life around us has gotten very, very complicated. And on my worst days, on my worst days, I question this book, these words, this person in Jesus who I know has changed my life because of the panic to the world around me. Through this series, The Long Obedience, we want to train ourselves to get over that. We aim to unapologetically train the panic out of ourselves. And the only way that we know to do that is to call the distractions around us out by name, realize that those distractions are based in fear, much like those men who are going to be shot off into space, and then look at the truth of Scripture Specifically for psalms, for anthems, for songs of people who are traveling and traversing a trail much like the one that we are on today. Before we do that, we have to be honest about the enemy's role in our life right now. And the enemy is, is his weapons, his arrows. We often talk about the ways that he brings us down in the life that we are trying to chase after Jesus. But I think that one of the most dangerous arrows in the enemy's arsenal is the art of distraction. Now bear with me where there's, there's a little bit of a lead up into the talk this morning, but I want you to know why we're talking about what we're talking about. Because so often in our lives, I think of the, the enemy's activity in my life and I think of the ways that he brings me down and, and, and all of these, these hardships that we're enduring right now. But the reality is that we are fighting distraction more than almost anything else. And when I say distraction, it is a, it is a broad spectrum of things that we are talking about. But the reality is that we are in danger of going against the will of God without even knowing it because of the distractions around us. These distractions in our lives that will even try and convince us that they are the will of God. There are people, it doesn't really matter, right, left, white, black, prophet, non-prophet, who are trying to convince us in days as dire and as drastic as the ones that we are living in currently this is the will of God. No, this is the will of God. You should know that this is the will of God because I'm a politician or I'm a pastor, or I'm on American Family Radio, I don't know. But the reality is we have to look towards the word of God to know what the will of God is. And we have to be able to call distractions out for what they are. Typically, distractions show up in our lives in four ways. And I wanna run through those very quickly. The first one is this. Distractions show up in the form 
of pain. I've been thinking about this a lot as we, we talk about these distractions because we've been going through them with our students on Wednesday nights. But initially, pain shows up in our lives as a physical thing. It's something we understand kind of through trial and error. I made a joke with the students the other night. The first time that I think I really remember being in pain was we were out in the truck, and my dad was like, hey, I left my pocket knife on my knife stand. Go get it, or my nightstand. Go get it. Don't open it, right? So I went and got his knife and flicked it open, and it was like a freaking lightsaber, you know? <laughs> And I walked out to my dad, and it's blade locked, and I walked out to my dad with my hands bloody, and I was like, I don't know what happened, you know? <laughs> and he was like, okay. But I understood pain. Physical pain is something that we learn from a very early age. But the further along we go in life, we realize there are other sorts of pain. I joke, I often get to talk with middle schoolers right after their first breakup, and man, let's talk about emotional pain, you know? It's tough, man. It's a tough world out there. But really, that's, that's kind of the first time they realize this emotional pain is a real thing, and they can, put a, they can put a name on it and say, that hurt. I don't want to touch that again. So many of us are, are realizing, even in the past year, that there is a third type of pain, a spiritual pain. I felt this almost exactly a year ago when we broke and we said, hey, we have to go digital. And initially, we were like, hey, we're going digital for two weeks. And we were digital for months. And I felt this spiritual pain, this lack of community like I hadn't had since I started following or trying to follow Christ well. I didn't realize what a role places like this played in my life. And I felt so dry. My spiritual life felt so dry. And it wasn't like I wasn't reading my Bible and I was sure praying. But I wasn't around the people of God. I felt so spiritually unhealthy. It's a different sort of pain, and we know sometimes that all of those pains can compile on themselves. The second distraction is a hard one to understand. It's pleasure. Oh, pleasure can be so hard to grasp that it can be a distraction used by the enemy. Why? Because it's a good thing, and pleasure shows up in our lives in lots of different ways. It could be pleasure from relationships. It could be pleasure from good experiences. It could be pleasure from almost anything. But we know because we read scripture that too much pleasure will cause us to focus on the gift instead of the giver. I don't know if y'all's grandma told y'all that, but mine told me that, right? Focus on the gift, not the giver. But, but we live in a world where so often we focus on these good gifts from God, these blessings from God that in truth are good things. But so often our focus is on these pleasures that they can even become a distraction from the God who initially gave them to us. The third distraction is very much like it. It's power. Power is complicated because we grow up in a world where we feel like power is needed. And I hear it often from students. Oh, I have to get this GPA in high school, and then I go to this school that my mom and dad want me to go to, and then I'll get in this master's program, or I'll go to med school, or whatever is next, and then I'll get this job, and I'll have the power to do what God wants me to do with my life. We convince ourselves that all of these distractions, while they are good, and it may be God's plan for your life, if you were overly focused on power, then you will find yourself in a place where you will not be used by God. And the fourth is the most hard to understand. Pain, pleasure, power, and people. People can be a massive distraction in our life, and much like pleasure and power and even pain, they can be blessings in some way. We love people. We need people. God designed us to be with people. But people can distract us like nothing else. 
And so often we find ourselves so much more engaged with these relationships with people that God created in his image than the God they were based upon. Why are all of these distractions valid in our life? Well, because much like these gentlemen that were going to be skyrocketed into space, when these things become issues in our life, it is because those distractions are based in very real fears. We're distracted by these things because we have legitimate fears in our life. Fear of being lonely, fear of being powerless, fear of never having pleasure, never having power. These are fears that we have grown into knowing that are, are real. One of my favorite quotes, though, is from a guy much, much smarter than myself. And I think that this should kind of anchor our whole series. Because while these fears are real and while these distractions are real, there is an answer to how we deal with this as people who love God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, but to deviate from the truth for the sake of some prospect of hope of our own can never be wise. However slight that deviation may be, it is not our judgment of the solution which can show us what is wise, but only the truth of the word of God. Here alone lies the promise of God's faithfulness and help. It will always be true that the wisest course of the disciple is to always abide solely on the word of God in all of its simplicity. What does that mean? It means that I get up here often, speakers get on stages often, and they say a lot of things. But what I really want us to focus on in this series, this long obedience, is how do we digest the word of God together? How do we look at these psalms, these songs, these anthems, these people of Israel would have sang as they marched up to Jerusalem three times a year and say, that is a perfect description of how we are focusing on God as we go through these hard times. So this morning, we're going to go through the first of these psalms of ascent. What you need to know is these people weren't in trouble. They weren't at war. They weren't looking for an answer. This is something they did because they were dedicated to seeking God's guidance for their life. And so several times a year, they would march to Jerusalem. But we'll find when we read it that it wasn't always an easy trip. I'm going to start in Psalm 21. Ben read it earlier. I'm going to read it in a little bit different translation because this may be more similar to the one that you've read. And I want us to talk about how we digest this together. Verse 1 says this, I lift my eyes to the mountain. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I don't know if y'all know third day and that he sounded just like Creed, but that's what I hear whenever I, whenever I read this. My background, man, it, it catches up. It says, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. That's important. Don't forget that. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over you coming and going both now and forever. Three quick observations that I want us to make as we read this passage. And I don't want you to think that I have like this holy light bulb thing in my gray chair. It's not what happened. This, is, this comes from us looking at the Bible and being like, what does this actually mean? It's not like, hey, he has a degree, figures it out. This is something that we can all partake in together. First observation, there was no shortage of fear 
on this trip. In fact, the author, the, the psalmist, was very open about the things they were afraid of. And as simple as they may sound, they were real concerns. The first one is them slipping and hurting themselves. See, there would be very young people and there would be very old people and they were all making the same march. And so the reality of the situation is if you turn your ankle and you have a long hike, it's a long trip. Several weeks ago, we were in here for a wake weekend, and I had these massive inflatables in here. In fact, one of them, they even told me, hey, Austin, you can't bring that inflatable in here because it will hit the lights. And I was like, come on. I want them all in here. And before I let the kids in, I, like, played on them all. But we were in here, and we were running these games, and my sweet wife, who was racing one of our students, gets up on top of this massive inflatable and just, like, rolled down. And when we got to her, I was like, ugh, she turned her ankle. Now, my wife is pretty young, right? And so she got over it in about a week. But at this point in time, they weren't like, oh, let me go grab eyes for your turned ankle. And then if it was an older person, they're probably getting piggybacked all the way to Jerusalem. Them turning their ankle in this or even just falling is a real issue. First fear. Second fear, exposure to the sun for obvious reasons because the sun dehydrates. Even in the passage, it talks about sunstroke. This is a real thing that took place here, and it was a health concern. But not just the sun. We also hear them say something about moonstroke, which sounds weird. But what this would be in this place is lunacy by exhaustion. They would grow so fatigued, and probably the de dehydration would play part in this, that they would go crazy out on this trail. Their fears were relevant. They were afraid of physically falling. They were afraid of the sun. They were afraid of growing fatigued. These were real fears that they had. The second observation, there were distractions along the way. Now, I need you to know, I didn't just know this. In fact, I did this wrong for a long time. A couple of months ago, I was out in Colorado, and I was in this cabin, and it was looking up at Pikes Peak. And I, this is so embarrassing, but I remember journaling, like, look to the mountains. Where does my help come from? And you're like, wow, what a loser. And I was like, that's, that's what this reminds me of. The reality is, in this situation, they were saying, should I look to the mountains? No, that is not where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. Why? Because what we don't see here is as they look up on the ridge lines and they're focusing towards Jerusalem, going to seek after the Spirit of God, when they look up on the ridge lines, there are all of these pagan temples. These pagan temples that were dedicated to a God named Baal. And these people would call down to these, these Jerusalem, uh, sorry, Israelites working their way to Jerusalem. And they would say, look, are you afraid of the sun? Like they just said. Hey, are you afraid of the moon? Then what you should do is you should come and worship with our sun priests. They're the same as your God. You're praying to the same God. And what that means is to, to make it very vivid for you is they would go into these temples and these priests were actually prostitutes and they would take part and they would engage with these prostitutes and that's how they would take care of their fears. So not only are they dealing with the sun, not only are they dealing with dehydration, they're dealing with exhaustion, all of these things. They're being tempted along the way but from people saying, you don't have to make that long journey. This is God up here on the ridges. So when the psalmist says, do I look to the hills for my help? No. My help comes from the Lord, and I'm going to keep on marching towards my goal. Distractions were very real. And not only distractions, but distractions that were trying to convince them that that would be the will of God. The third observation that we make 
is that there is a comparative reminder to what God is like. And it, and it rests in that God, Baal, that they would be trying to sell them on. See, what we, you need to know about Baal is that he would often grow very tired of his people. He would actually get bored. We see this earlier on in the Old Testament with Elijah when he's making a sacrifice to God and there are all the prophets of Baal there and Elijah says, is Baal asleep? He's not just making fun of Baal because they knew it was written down for them that oftentimes Baal would grow tired of his people and he would just fall asleep or he would go find something else to do. And so they believed they would have to get their God's attention. What the psalmist is saying here to the people who are listening and to us is this. Your God is invested in your life. He doesn't grow tired of watching you live your day-to-day life. In fact, he wants to protect you from the very things that you are afraid of. He is invested in your story. He doesn't grow tired of watching you. He doesn't get tired of you asking him for help. He loves you. And he is there with you. So why does this matter? Why does all of this matter? Why does this psalm matter for us today? Because I really do believe that every distraction in our life has the potential to replace God's position in our life. What do I mean by that? I think that there are plenty of things that are grappling for our attention. And they're based in those four things that I said earlier. We're dealing with so much pain, so much pleasure, so much power, all of these people, that it's very hard to differentiate where God is if we are not focused on the road map. And when we are convinced that other things are the will of God without consulting that road map, then those distractions can take the place of God in our life. We, be, we begin to live a life that is overshadowed by all of our pain. Whereas God wants to take care of our pain. We begin to live a life whose theme is pleasure or power. Where God wants to grant us pleasure and power and use that and use us for his greater story. I don't want to go long. I went a little bit long in first service. But I think it's very important for us to give some relief to that. How do we go about making sure that those distractions do not damn the rest of our life? It's training. It's the exact same training as we saw earlier. By every day reminding ourselves of the steps that we as Christ followers have to do to maintain a life that looks like Jesus. One of my favorite authors, and I'm sorry I keep throwing quotes at you, but it's the perfect summation of this. One of my favorite authors, Ryan Holiday, said, Uncertainty and fear are relieved by authority, and we have the greatest authority. Training is authority, training ourselves in the way of God and the the good things that Jesus wants for us. It's a release valve. With enough exposure, you can, adapt out, or you can adapt out those perfectly ordinary, even innate fears that are bred most from unfamiliarity. Fortunately, unfamiliarity is simple to fix, which makes it possible to increase our tolerance for stress and uncertainty. What does this look like in the life of the believer? It means being real about the things that we are going to have to face. Being real about the distractions on the ridgeline looking down and calling to us. Being real about the fears in our lives. And living that hike, that trek together. And aiming towards that one goal of being like God as a community. There are three quick points of application that I want to give you on how 
we do that. How we look at this psalm, how we look at the word of God, and how that will show up in our lives. The first is this, we have to be honest about our fears. We have to be honest about our fears. We are more than likely concerned about this rocky terrain that we are living through right now. Each day, like I said, we wake up and open our door and the modern world is still there looking for us. And so we have to be real when we're afraid. Does this book still work for us? We have to be real when there are doubts. Is he actually listening to me? That's what this whole psalm is portraying, is that there is a real life that we have to live, and we need those reminders. We need those reminders. Yes, our God doesn't fall asleep. Yes, our God cares for us. Yes, our God is living, and he cares about your fears. We have to acknowledge that those fears are real, though, before we are ready to accept the solution for them. So often, I just go through my day very, very distracted. And I go from one distraction to the other so I don't ever have to account for the very real fears in my life. But only when I put names to those fears can I ask God to settle them for me. Make sure that we are acknowledging those so that we can give them to him. The second is this, we have to be honest about the danger of abandonment along the trail. We have to be honest about the danger of abandonment. So often, so many of us, even myself, I operated in this position where nothing was going to stop me. I'm, look, I'm, I even said it like this. I'm a Christian. I follow God. It's what I do. Like, I get paid to follow God and so on these stages. But in reality, I was so confused oftentimes. And I'm thankful for Vertical that lets me work through my confusion, sometimes behind a microphone, sometimes on a stage or, or whatever that looks like. But what the last year has shown me is that there is a real danger of abandonment. There are days when I wake up and say, I don't think I can keep doing that. But only by admitting that can I go to my support group, the people who care for me, the people that keep me on the straight and narrow and point me back towards the good qualities of God. Only when I come to them, my community, and say, hey, I think I'm in danger of abandonment here, can they bring me back in. If I can't admit it to myself, then I can't admit it to the people who care for me and point me back towards him. Good friend of mine is an AA. And we, we talked often, and he was telling me, like, hey, how, how are you doing? And he's like, these, these meetings, these online meetings suck. And I've grown more and more close to falling off the wagon the longer I have to do online AA. And I felt like I knew exactly what that was like. That's exactly how I felt in April and May when I hadn't seen the people who keep me where I need to be focused on God. We have to be real about the reality that we can fall to ensure that we do not the third is this, be honest about your story. Be honest about your story. I love the honesty in this passion and in this passage and all the Psalms that we're going to look at in these series, it's, it's blatantly obvious that there is a story that could end in pain, but God prevails at the end of it. It's incredibly important for us to know that you, we have to recite the ways that God has shown up in our lives in the past. Because there are times when we need that reminder, and there are also times when other people need that reminder. And, and I laugh because, honestly, half of my talks when I'm on stage, nine out of ten probably end in the importance of community. But we cannot overemphasize that enough, especially after this last year. We cannot overemphasize the importance of community. Why? 
because your story matters. Your story is the telling of how God has enacted in your life this miraculous thing. And only through retelling those stories, just like it was retold here, will we continue forward and be able to trace back, look, God was active there. God was active there. God was active there. He hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't fallen asleep because I heard he was in his life the other day when we got together. These conversations take place at kitchen tables. These conversations take place in garages. And after you get done working out in the gym and you stay for another hour because you're just talking about the activity of God in your life. We have to be quick to tell the victories, the stories where God has been victorious, even in small ways, so that we can continue in chasing after him each week as a community. This series is going to be a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to moving forward in it. What I would challenge you guys with over the next week before we come back for week two is this. What are the distractions in your life? Where are you giving life away to those distractions? And not the small distractions, the ones that tank communities. Are you focused on pain? Are you focused on pleasure? Are you focused on power or people? Have you reached out to the people who hold you accountable? And are you keeping your eyes on that goal that we all have set of looking more like Christ, both individually and as a group? Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time we get to spend together. It's my, it's my favorite day of the week because we get to talk and we get to discuss things in the lobby and, hey, how are you doing? And I get to see people that I don't see all week. But also, God, I thank you for this time that we get to spend within your word today. It may be a, a rarity here that we, we just break apart this whole passage in this way, but it's so powerful, God. It's so current. It's crazy how something so old can be so current in our life because the distractions are prevalent. The things around us beckoning from the hills, trying to convince us that they are you, God, they're prevalent. And my prayer over the people here this morning would be that there would not be any confusion about your voice today. God, your word tells us that once we decide to follow you with our life, your Holy Spirit indwells us and we have a direct line of connection to you, God. I pray that we would be confident in that today. God, that we would be confident in our role here as a community, that we would look different because you've called us to look different. That we would walk out of here into our jobs and into our homes and people would say, God, he looks different because he's been with you. I pray that we would look different because we've been with you today. We love you. We praise you. Amen. Guys, I'm excited for week two. Ben will be back up here next week. Have a great week until then. We'll see you then.